Hi, my name is Jeff Redding. I'm a preaching elder here at Walton Community Church in Monroe, Georgia. Before we begin the sermon, our church would like to invite you to join us as we gather every Sunday morning for worship at 10 a.m. You can learn more about our church on our website at waltoncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening. Blessings, WCC. We're going to continue in the Lord's Prayer. So turn to Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to cover all of verse 12. Let's read it together, and if you don't have it open, it's on that piece of paper. Just follow me as I read. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. This is the word of the Lord. Forgiveness is one of those gifts that every Christian appreciates. Every true believer in Christ, not not every person that says I'm a Christian, but every person that's genuinely a believer in Christ loves this gift of forgiveness. It means everything to you. It's radically changed your life. It has hopefully produced in you some humility. It has produced in you new life. It has allowed the triune God to interact with you in a profound way as the Holy Spirit now rests inside of you. And Jesus instructs his disciples to ask this of God. Two years ago, there was a happening that caused some division in the United States. There was an officer by the name Amber Geiger. She entered in what she believed to be her home to find what she believed to be an intruder. She fired and shot a young man by the name of Bothan, Jean. Later, she found out she was not in her home. And the young man's life who she took was an innocent young man who was not to be shot, was not worthy of death. She was placed in trial for a 10-year sentence just two years ago this month. During her trial, the victim's brother came to the stand. As he entered that stand, he said this to Amber, the woman that took his brother's life. I forgive you. I know if you go to God and ask, he will forgive you. Later on, as he spoke from the stand with many tears, he expressed that he wanted the best for her and that he exhorted her also to give her life to Christ. After he exhorted this to her, he then turned to the judge and asked if he could embrace her and give her a hug. The judge granted that request. Brandon, the brother, stepped down from his seat. Amber stepped out of her chair, and they embraced one another. For several seconds, with tears, whispers in the ear, and mourning in the room, 
this young brother chose to forgive a woman who in her ignorance and foolishness and misjudgment took his brother who he could not receive back. What's embarrassing is several ministers took up the social media and talked about the shame of this brother forgiving this woman. Others herald it. And many of our nation that don't like to touch on the word sin or morality, we're really short of words. They knew that something good-ish was in this. But was it too much mercy? Was it too much grace? Was this forgiveness missing something greater like vengeance, wrath, and judgment? And it left spectators mixed but in awe. Forgiveness can do that. Forgiveness can offend people and it can trigger something. When someone sees a debt being forgiven, it can spark jealousy and a plead for a higher justice than mercy. You remember the story of the paralytic? Jesus is preaching in this little home, or I think it's a little home, and there's no room. This paralytic who cannot move himself has a couple friends who drag him, and when they arrive and they see that the good teacher is not in a tangible reach, they decide, hey, we'll just go to the top of this roof, tear it apart, no problem, and hoist him down. Problem solved. Those are some awesome friends to have. So as, as they hoist this paralytic down... Jesus looks at this man and he tells him, take heart, your sins are forgiven you. And the Pharisees take offense to that. Now, and they do so for a theological reason that is sound. They say, who alone can forgive sins? That's theologically correct. Only God can forgive sins. The surprise was this makeshift rabbi slash son of a carpenter was God in the flesh. And he proved his authority to forgive sins by telling this fellow to pick up his mat and walk. And he did so. If you have claimed Christ, you have felt that same power. You have come to realize the weight and the burden of your sin. How you cannot save yourself. Maybe you've gone throughout a long journey trying to do so. Maybe you haven't come to Christ yet and you think the idea of you having sin is offensive and old-fashioned and oppressive. But those who have tasted and seen Jesus have felt that release and that relief and the relationship one has with God through it. In this fifth petition, as we pray for God to forgive us of our sins, we've noticed, like last week, that the prayer has turned in a serious tone. Jesus has instructed the believers that God's name would be elevated and glorified, that his will would be done, that his kingdom would be actualized here on earth. And then it turns to our needs as we ask for food those things that we desperately need. But more than that, beloved, we need that pardon. We need that forgiveness. 
I want us to think about what is sin. And when I ask this question, I'm thinking about 13-year-olds to about 23. What is sin? Your parents give you medicine. If you're a male, your, your mom and then soon to be a wife most likely knows what to give you. If, if you're like me, I'm ignorant of the labels and I don't take anything. This morning, my wife gave me something because she knew that I was having allergy issues. It didn't occur to my mind to take something, though it was painful. I want to take sin and I want to look at that for a moment because the world is going to tell you it does not exist or, or, it's, or it's really something else. And before you go to college or before you go to social media, before you go to some secular college professor to redefine it for you, as your pastor, I want to tell you how the Bible defines it. Coming from J.I. Packer's notes, he describes sin as law-breaking, a deviation, a shortcoming, rebellion, pollution, Missing the mark. It's a lot of things. I, uh, I wrestle with dyslexia. You probably notice that the best when I pray for the Durst family. We don't have a Durst family at uh, WCC. We have the Drust family. And every time I prayed for that family in my little notes, <laughs> Ben and Heather, I'm so sorry, I kept saying your last name wrong. I kept missing the mark on that. That's not perfection. So, so sin can be things that are intentional and driven with venom and with hate and that intentionality. And sin sometimes can just be missing the mark. Or you're tainted. And, and though you have a desire to do best, a desire to be godly, there's those hindrances. The desire is, is weak. The ability, the knowledge, the resources are disabled. I think more helpful maybe to look at what the Bible says about sin is when Paul talks about the deeds of the flesh. Galatians 5, 19 through 21. I'm not going to read that. So Galatians 5, 19 through 21. If you're 13 to 23, look it up. And then look at the fruits of the Spirit. And let me, let me shepherd your soul a little bit more young adult, the fruits of the Spirit are cultivated within unity, okay? Not you at Starbucks with your devotional Bible. Do that if that helps, but really growing in godliness happens when you're in community. So when you go to college, dive into community. When you go to career, dive in community. You're not going to grow in love as you look at the mirror. You're not going to grow in patience or humility as you look at the mirror, those deeds of the flesh, oh, they will grow well when you do Jesus on your own. Another beautiful list of sin is from the ungodliness and unrighteousness mentioned in Romans 1. Read all of it, and you find out that that begins as one loses a heart for worshiping God. As they no longer revere him and desire to worship and behold him and elevate his name. The Lord begins to give them to their own depravities. There are those that would say that really sin is a failure to achieve one's self-expression. I want to tell you something profound. That's stupid. 
your own self-expression. The things I want to express in the moment most often are just terrible. Um, how I want to express myself as, as children are, are quarreling in the back seat of the van is not with patience, not with long-suffering. I can see some fathers like, yeah, I totally get you, brother. Um, some of the desires that are in my heart that I want to be, that I want to do, God just simply had to crush. He had to annihilate it. I mean, uh, who I think I should be should be placed at the cross of Christ. We're told to conform to his likeness and his image. So I don't want you to think that the gracious atrocity to oneself is you cannot fully express who you are to the universe and humanity around you. I want you to see that sin is an offense before a holy God, your creator, who has made you and has placed a destiny, a calling upon your life. You see, your, your life is more significant than what you want to do to get to retirement. It, it, it's more significant to what you want to do with the hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars you begin to accumulate. Well, the cool threads you wear at school. In this passage in the Lord's Prayer, my translation mentions that sin is a debt. Forgive us our debts. You might have transgressions. That's okay. I think more accurately, it's to describe a debt. In ancient times, debt was a serious problem. In our day and age, it's just cool. Everyone has it. Just pass the debt around. Um, it's very common for college students to acquire a, a lump sum of debt. I think very few of us own our homes, own our cars. Um, at a young age, many of us get credit cards and we just go hog wild. That was me uh, as a kiddo. Debt was a little more serious in a day and age where you worked for the food on your table for the day. You, you didn't work so you could have groceries for the month. It was usually day by day you lived off of the sweat of your labor. So when you accumulated a lot of debt, it was a serious matter. It was a criminal offense. During Jesus' day, the majority of prisons were filled with debt owers. And what they would do to provoke more payments at a faster rate is the, one, the individual that, that owed money... They would incarcerate. And then the family was pressured, until you pay off this in full, we will not release them. So debt, in their mind, brought a lot of anxiety and the idea of criminality to it. So when we come to God with this idea of being forgiven our debts, it's appropriate to translate this as our sins. And what do we owe? Well, we owe him everything. We, we owe him everything. And, and what have we sought to, to rob him of? His glory. We've sought to take his name and place it under our feet. We've become those that believe we're a better judge. We're a more friendlier person. We're more understanding. 
we understand the circumstances more. Young adults, when you interact with your peers, that means people your age, and they go to describe to you God without the Bible, are they, are they describing a God to you who, who is just plain a fool, who doesn't understand who you truly are, though he formed you in your mother's womb? He doesn't truly understand the circumstances, yet he keeps the stars from colliding on this earth and destroying us. Is he outdated? Though he's eternal, he's never gained a day or lost a day, for he's larger than time. If they, if they preach and, and disciple you in a God that is outside the Bible, it's, it's a little speck of who he is. It's not an accurate depiction of the all-knowing, all-loving, all-merciful, all-powerful, all-righteous, and holy God. Now, I said that we owe him, and we owe him everything because he is the author of all things. So if he created this earth, which he has, if he has fashioned your soul and blessed his image upon you, which he has, then you answer to him and him alone. Another reality about sin is all of us have been cursed by it. There are some within the Christian faith, and I'll say that they are believers, but they wrongfully, I think, teach and preach that we're born in this innocence. And at some sometime down the path where you're watching dad change the oil and him curse, you realize, ooh, I'm going to use that word too. Or when little Johnny takes the ball away and you kick him, all of a sudden you commit your, your first sin. David confesses that he was formed in iniquity. Paul preaches that from Adam we have received a curse. Sin infects everyone. So, so how do we take care of this, this debt? How do we interact with this, this sin that we have one path would be to forgive yourself that's a foolish path that assumes you have authority it assumes your opinion matters oftentimes when i stand before god i i realize my opinion is just an opinion you know the saying that can go with that Sometimes we take it very serious. So maybe I can't forgive myself, but maybe, and I, I usually lean on this example a lot. I repeat myself here quite a bit, but, but maybe if we just come to the judge, we can come before him and we can speak about the good that we are starting to do and the good that we have done. Amber Geiger did not dare go before the judge, nor the Jean family, and say, I can provide for you another son. I can conjure up an individual just like Bothan. And he will make you happy. And these miseries will be gone. And, and the sun will shine where the shadow is present. That's not the case. And what does the Bible say about the consequence of sin? Young adults, let me have your attention. What does it say? 
consequence of sin is death. To sin once requires of your life. Now, I don't believe anyone's going to stone me for pronouncing or reading wrong the Durst's last name, the Drust's last name. Now I'm seeing it mentally in my mind. But, but simple mistakes as well as those actions fueled with intentionality and anger, both fall short of perfection. God is holy. And that is so for our good. We don't worship a God we need to be embarrassed about. Young adults, we worship a God at WCC we don't have to apologize for. We seek to explain, but we seek to explain to bring enlightenment for you. Not to explain his cultural relevance for our society. Someone who's eternal is always culturally relevant. Us who, who rise and fall like the grass, we're the ones with the struggle. We're the ones that, that have a hard time explaining what we bring, the value that we have. So we can come before this great judge and we can try to explain the great things we've done, but it would fall short, more offensive than Amber Geiger coming to this family saying, I can try to resurrect your son. That's one offense. It's a grave offense. I don't want to belittle that pain that was caused and that loss that's felt. But beloved, you have continually, I have continually offended a holy God. Another path that we can take is to seek the Father's love. In the beginning of this prayer, Jesus guides us to pray, Our Father. If we don't approach him as Father in this prayer, things get complicated, muddy, and that they don't work. We come to verse 14 and 15. Turn your eyes there if you have your Bible open. For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. If we don't come before him as Father, we think, in order to receive forgiveness, I have to do something first, and that is works-based salvation. We believe that salvation is freely given to those that have faith in what Jesus has done. That he is the perfect God-man that died in the place of sinners. That he conquered death, that he paid the price for our sins, that he is coming again, and that we will be resurrected to reign or to sit underneath his reign eternally. I got lost in presenting the gospel. That's a good thing. If we don't approach him as father, but we think works-based salvation, I got to start forgiving people before I get forgiven, it messes with our justification. It turns it again into a, a transaction. J.I. Packer says this, the Lord's prayer is a, friend, uh, is a family prayer in which God's adopted children address their father, and though their daily failures do not overthrow their justification, 
things will not be right between them and their father till they have said sorry and ask him to overlook the ways they have let him down. In a family, in my family, one of the words we repeat quite often is I'm sorry. Sometimes genuinely, sometimes rote. We live together. We get on each other's nerves. We're possessive of things. Accidents happen. Spills happen. Boo-boos happen. Jealousy happens. Your you, your true self that the world would say fan the flame to comes out with family. And aren't you so happy at all times with family? Like isn't Thanksgiving and Christmas always just jubilant and rides to church? By the way, ride to church today wasn't so bad, but they can be, can't they? Approach him like a father. You know what it's like to offend a family member. And you know the importance of being reconciled with this family member. So, so focusing on young adults, this sermon is for everyone. But for young adults that are going to be discipled on this is how we really work as a society and this is how we really should view sin and this is how we should, you know, pick ourselves up and love on ourselves, I want to challenge you to practice something. Forgive. You are going to be wronged and now you're at the age where you can understand and see more clearly where you are being wronged. You can now say, that is an injustice. That the scale is not fair. You're not acting the way you're supposed to in, in relation to the Bible verses you've been throwing at me for years. And you could be tempted to say, I am not going to forgive you. I'm going to hold you to this high standard. Hold your family to a standard. Hold them with grace. But you're going to say, you know what? I don't have to. I don't want to. And I am worthy, and I am someone, and I, I, I. Just kill those eyes. Kill them. Come back to the Lord's Prayer and see the we and the our and the us. Think familially. Think in group. Think of you are one in many that creates a different kind of oneness. So I want to challenge you. Be forgiving. Start with your parents. They need it. Some of what we do is guesswork, which is scary to admit. Other parts of it, you better believe, is when you're out of the room, we're crying. We're praying. The moms are usually picking up blogs and books and coming to the dad saying, you've got to read this now. Amen, guys? Um, we're trying to figure you out. We're trying to figure us out. Parents. A great way for them to grow in forgiveness is to lead by example. And they have some of those tools where they're starting to become an adult, and you know they're not fully functional. And they know they're not fully responsible. And there's a joy in that as well as a burden in that. Wouldn't it be amazing if 10 years down the road, one of the attributes your young adult or child says is, yeah, I grew up in a very forgiving home. Do you know what effects that will have on them in life? With their family, their church, 
their work this morning, no, yesterday. I don't know, I was at work at 12 o'clock this morning. So maybe it was this morning. I spoke with an individual who had been on the mission field for 20 years. I was really impressed speaking with this nurse, talking about where they'd been overseas. And then when they started speaking about the church, there was a hardness there. I don't know why. We didn't have a, a powwow session. We didn't have a pastoral moment to really figure out some of those injuries there, reasons why. After 20 years of seeking to plant gospel seeds, crush the serpent's head in another land. I mean, how awesome is that? They come back home, and they just have a coldness to the church. It's vital that we learn to forgive. Jesus adds in verse 12, as we also have forgiven our debtors. So what does that mean? If I'm saying this, that we still hold a justification, our, our salvation isn't required upon our forgiveness, what is Jesus saying here? I believe the second clause is evidence of the fruit of salvation, the fruit of repentance. I believe true forgiveness comes from the heart of one that knows Christ. We're to be imitator of God in all things. Within moderation for some, we're not the great judge. Wouldn't it be beautiful if every time we had the opportunity to forgive, we thought, I am just mimicking the love and the compassion the Father has towards us. But repentance comes with fruit. As Luther said, we are saved by faith alone, but it's a faith that is not alone. With this faith comes evidences, blessings, spiritual activity within us. So we are to be a forgiving people. We're not supposed to be a, a people with grudges. Now, I've done a little bit of an effort here in trying to create this into a group exhortation to young adults, but I want us to go a little bit broader. How can we as a church, because yes, there is individual responsibility in this prayer, but, but I think the majority of the push here is that we pray this corporately. How can we be a church that's seen as forgiving, an extension, an extension of God's love, and mercy, an extension of God's desire for reconciliation. And I believe the application is different for every home. Yet at, at the end of that self-examination and examination of the home, I believe we'll come back together with an idea of how we can best love those in our community that are in need of forgiveness. Maybe they're not reconciled to God. Maybe they come out of curiosity Maybe it's a wound that brings them here, and they need to simply know Jesus loves them. God sees them in their pain. God knows the offenses that they have committed, and he is there waiting. Maybe it's some who have been a part of church and they've been injured. Maybe they've had false accusations or the accusations have been true. 
and church no longer feels like home. It's that cold place filled with stares upon your shoulder, whispers, and no invitations to any meals anytime soon. How can we, as a church, continue to grow and show that God is forgiving? We're not a people of grudge, but we are a people of love. I'm going to end here for today. Father, I'm accustomed to addressing you as true and living God. But in this moment, I thank you that you are my Father. And I confess I sin against you daily in my ignorance and in my willingness. And I confess that you are deserving of continual praise and obedience. That it is my aim and your delight that I enjoy you in all things forever. And that I love my brother and sister, my neighbor, with full commitment. And yet, Lord, I'm prone to elevate myself. Lord, we are a people that love self oh so much. Spirit, do a work in us. May we be a people, may we be a church that loves to receive forgiveness and loves to give it. May we understand that you are the one who enables that power. May we continually, in Christ's direction, ask for it, knowing that you freely give the sincere heart. We ask this in your son's name. Amen.